here, welcome to C2 at Community Church. Uh, it's a place where everyone is welcomed, everyone is affirmed, and everyone is loved by the grace of God, and that is a beautiful thing. We're going to be talking a little bit this morning about the transfiguration, uh, how Jesus appeared to some of his disciples through the grace of God, and the theme for me of that is always kind of how God wants us to see Jesus as opposed to how we might think we should or how we want to see Jesus. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that through music and in the scripture and in the video today. And um, the video I have picked for the post-sermon video is, is, is from a movie called Wonder. Um, and it's a, it's a very nice, it was based on a book, it's a lovely movie. And it's uh, about a boy who is actually physically transfigured. He doesn't look the same as everybody else. Uh, and there's a line in the movie that is not in the clip, but I just wanted to give it to you because I think it fits in really nicely. Uh, but they're talking about the boy and how other boys are viewing him. And the principal says, well, he can't change the way he looks, but maybe we can change the way we see. And that, to me, I think is, is a, a good encapsulation of what part of this transfiguration is for, for Jesus and God shining down. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, because our generosity speaker for today, our church member, does sing in the choir, I am actually going to call her up now to share a few words so she can get back over there and do her thing. So would you all please welcome Heather Stapleton. Thanks for being so welcoming, because I do feel a little oddly dressed over here right now. <laughs> Where's my jeans? I want to ask So, until just two months ago, I had been working in the nonprofit world um, for 25 years. I started when I was two. With my new job, I now work for the state, technically. I presumed I was done encouraging philanthropy. Uh, I presumed I was done inviting others to give, and yet, here I am. <laughs> There's probably a lesson here. So upon invitation, um, I'm going to speak at all, th or I will have spoken at all three services this morning. You know, and, and most of you have been here much longer than I. Many of you are the, the ones who extended all manner of invitation to me. I got my first invitation in about 2005. I was part of a a program that's now ended. It was a life coaching program here at the church, and then I was invited to take vocal lessons at the Academy of Performing Arts that used to meet at this church. Um, and then next, I was invited to sing just one requiem, you know, here at the church, no big deal, sing a requiem. So, uh, he, you know, after that experience, um, the invitation was to truly join the choir. And how could I not? With choir being inviting as it is, and maybe even a little addictive. Next, I was invited to be a part of the fine arts and, and ministry mu music ministry team. And, you know, who knows what the future holds, but the church has continually invited me. You have continually invited me to do more, ask more explore more and sing more and now I'm inviting you and giving your time talent and resources as you are able despite being involved involved on the sidelines I didn't actually become a member of the church until we were in the thick of COVID 
so much uncertainty, so much social unrest, and apparently when many Americans stopped attending church was exactly when I felt I needed church and I needed singing more than ever. I needed to listen to uplifting music, I needed to be inspired by music more than ever, and not being able to sing thanks to COVID was pretty tough. It was so tough that it was worth putting on those darn singers masks. It was worth it to do that. So for me, it's the recognition that all of life is spiritual and there are no clear boundaries between the sacred and the secular. For me, it's a recognition of this church that a curious mind wonders and marvels at the beauty of our world and our place in it. For me, it really is all about courage, curiosity, creativity, and compassion that this church inspires. For me, these words are simply an invitation to keep exploring. So because of that, because of all of that, I chose to accept the invitation to give of my time and resources as I am able, and I hope that you will do so too. And I hope that maybe we can get you more involved with the music and fine arts ministry. Thank you for having me over here, everybody. Thank you, Heather. All right, friends, let's stand up. Let's invite God into the house. It's a beautiful day the Lord has been made. Let us be glad. Let us rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, again I say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, again I say. Journey to worship Christ the Lord and bless Him. 
Join me in a moment of prayer. Gracious and loving God, indeed, we gather here to praise your name to the ends of the earth. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here together in worship, in fellowship, in spirit. We ask at worship this morning, Lord, that you help us to open our eyes to see, to see Jesus the way you wanted him to be seen and to then follow and live in that way. For, Lord, we all know that God is good. Amen.
take a good look at each other and share some of ourselves with our friends and our congregation as we pass the peace of Christ. May the peace of Christ be with you all. Peace be with you all indeed. Uh, as we go over every week, I let you know for our community life that everything that's going on in the life of the church is in the back of your action page. Um, so please take a minute to take a look at that. Um, I will give you one announcement this morning that the Soul Cafe that was going to start this morning, we've had a few logistical hiccups. So we are actually going to start the Soul Cafe next week, for sure, full strength. So we will have uh, a little bit more flair of coffees, some flavored, some pastries, things like that, and the youth will be running that. Uh, we think we've got everything worked out. So I apologize for that, but the Soul Cafe will start next week. Uh, the rummage sale is next weekend as well. Uh, so if you ha haven't seen the rummage sale, you need to come check it out. It's incredible. Everything else, I think, is pretty much right here. Um, so you guys can get <laughs> all the information from there. Our scripture for today, as I mentioned before, talks about the transfiguration. And if you are unfamiliar with that or it's been a while since you've heard that, Jesus has finished his Sermon on the Mount and he's taken a few of his disciples up to a mountaintop. And on that mountaintop, something happens to Jesus. And he is transformed into this big light. And his clothes become white. And as is often the case in the scriptures, his disciples are very afraid. They don't know what's happening. They haven't seen anything like this before. All they've been doing is really listening to Jesus and the importance of this transfiguration is it is really, at least in my purview, God is now coming down to the disciples and telling them that this is the man you need to follow. As you'll see in the scripture, for a brief moment, Elijah and Moses also appear. So you've got some big heavyweights. You've got the big prophets. You've got Jesus. And God is signaling out Jesus and saying, this is the one that will continue on the way and get us to the kingdom. And that's very, very important. The next time the disciples look up, the other two are gone. It's just Jesus. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I am the one. I am the way. And God actually tells the disciples, this is the son. This is the one with who I am pleased this is the one that will take us home. So it's a very important um, piece of scripture, but there's also another little part, which I kind of mentioned at the beginning, that I like to take out, and I like to see, is that it's not so much about how Jesus looks in the transfiguration, it's how God is trying to tell us that we need to see Jesus and what we need to do to live in the way. And I think that's pretty important because at least speaking for myself, I know a lot of times I try to figure out how I'm supposed to see Jesus. I figure out, you know, I try, I try on my own to look and say, no, I think I'm supposed to see Jesus this way. And I don't put enough trust in God telling me this is how you need to see Jesus, Drew. This is how you get to the kingdom. This is the way. So let's hear the word of the Lord for today, the transfiguration. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, 
and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, with whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is Transfiguration Sunday. It is that time of the year that is right in the middle of our story of God come to be with us in Christ. We came through the Annunciation, the Christmas story, the Epiphany with the star in the sky, Jesus all grown up and baptized and teaching. And then in this moment, here toward the end of Matthew, he's preparing his disciples for his death in order that they might live. So this is a story that starts and ends with death, but the middle is all about how God opens our eyes to see all the glory that God has for us in life, in the here and now. Please pray with me. God, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear your spirit among us today. Reveal to us the path you would have us take to be faithful to you in our time and grant us the courage to take it. Amen. When I die, I have in my will that I want the healthiest of my 10 grandchildren or great-grandchildren yet to be born to carry the weight of my life in a box inside a backpack to the top of Mount Elbert, which is the highest peak in Colorado at just over 14,000 feet. At the moment I slip from earth and free fall into glory, I anticipate that all things hidden will be revealed in death, much as they were whenever I climbed the tallest peak in Colorado, always my prayer walk in life. The first time I climbed Mount Albert, I danced my way to the top and I ran all the way down. As a young woman sprung free from the plains of Nebraska, I sucked in that thin air and flew as one freed from captivity. The mountain always surprises. That year, the endurance of my youth and weeks of training for a triathlon left me stronger than I thought possible. That was a surprise. Each year, that particular climb offers up gifts unlike any other. One year, I met a newly married couple who, upon learning I was a minister, wanted to be blessed at the top of the mountain. Another time, I crested a rocky knoll only to discover a mama ptarmigan and t 10 fat waddling chicks crossing the trail in front of me. It was so thrilling. The last time took longer than expected. 
as the vigor of youth already began to recede. Are you with me? Yet hope met me at the top. A man there 20 years older than I was celebrating his birthday. And I noted at that moment a younger man ran across the glacier field wearing nothing but his hiking boots <laughs> and socks. Anything can happen on the mountaintop. When I leave behind my iPhone and my computer, they're both rendered useless in the wilderness. When I climb, there's no past, there's no future, only now. I think that's why God waits for me on that mountain when I finally stop whatever I'm doing long enough that I think is so important and pay attention to the holy. It's what happens next that changes everything. Just ask a man named Peter in today's Bible story. My mother calls me Simon Barjona, but my teacher just calls me Petros, the rock. I tell you about that time when Jesus took me from sleep along with James and his brother John. In the shadows, Jesus motioned for us to follow. The others didn't even stir. Perhaps not hearing us slip past the stone gate, the sound of our sandals crunching stone softened by Bartholomew's incessant snoring. Jesus walks noiselessly ahead of us in the dark. I follow close his heels as the others follow me. The heels lay low, those hills lay so low, illumined by the waning moon casting shadows as we climb. I strain so long up the path, concentrating to steady each step that I nearly miss first light and the easy glow of a new day's dawning. By the time the sun crests the neighboring ridge, the chill night drops her cape. We pause now, turning. What familiar lines of garden and cottage we see in the valley below. At once I turn back toward the sound of Jesus talking to someone, but, but not to me. We arrive at the broad summit alone in the dark, so someone must have climbed up from the other side. What happened next? I haven't told anyone until I tell, to, tell it to you now. Suddenly, Jesus' face lit up as if a candle burned within his skin. Though you might think I'm crazy, I swear I saw this man that I lived and worked with every day now shining like oil on water. As if that weren't enough. I saw with our, my own eyes our prophet Elijah and our liberator Moses, both long dead, standing right there in front of us. I offered to put up three tarps to shelter them from the rising sun, but at that moment they become wrapped in bright cloud and it overwhelmed all of us. You might think I made this whole story up. Maybe I drank too much before I went to sleep last night. Maybe I tossed too long in the land of dreams, or maybe I got out of bed too early this morning. But I swear to you, my heart raced in my chest as I saw Jesus, not as I thought I knew him, 
but clothed in white as the great one of God. Then a voice came from heaven, from the clouds, like the very one they say they heard the day of Jesus' baptism by his cousin, John. These same, very same words I hear with my own ears. This is my son, my beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. I tell you, at first my knees shook so hard I fell to the ground, barely breathing. How long I lay without moving, I cannot say. At last Jesus bent and touched my shoulder. Get up, Petros, he said. Don't be frightened by what you have seen and heard. When I finally stood up, Jesus was there alone. At this transfiguration, something amazing happened. God removed the spiritual cataracts from the eyes of these disciples. I won't ask for a show of hands of how many of you have had cataracts, but if you haven't, you know someone who has and what a difference it can make when you can then see in a new way. God removed these spiritual cataracts so they could see Christ clearly. It's not that Jesus became somebody different. On the mountain at that moment of transfiguration, Jesus wasn't changed into somebody he previously was not. When I have cataracts removed, they tell me I will not become thinner or more attractive. <laughs> Rather, the disciples seeing changed. Now they experienced Jesus with Moses and Elijah and saw clearly for the first time that Jesus was so much more than their wise teacher. They saw Jesus bathed in light so bright they wished sunglasses had been invented. They experienced something so powerful that in that moment they just wanted to set up camp and stay there. Then they followed Jesus down the mountain with a warning from Jesus to keep this vision to themselves until after he rose from death. When God encounters us, it is as if spiritual cataracts fall from our eyes. We see the truth of things previously hidden as if behind a veil, Paul says, now we see in the glass dimly, then we see face to face. When the spiritual cataracts fell from their eyes, God implanted new lenses in the disciples to change not only how they saw Jesus, but how they saw the world when they went back down the mountain towards home. But not yet. I'd like to tell you that when Peter, James, and John followed Jesus back down that mountain, they finally got this God thing and gave up all petty, selfish, greedy, small-spirited, blind squabbling. But that would be a lie. While Jesus stepped off the mountain into a crowd of need and brokenness and first thing out of the, off the mountain healed a suffering boy, first thing the disciples did was get into an argument about who was the greatest and who would sit at the right and the left hand in heaven in a place of honor in God's kingdom. Oy vey. The disciple's spiritual surgery completes only after Jesus' resurrection, when at last they do have eyes to see. But you know what? We don't have to wait. 
We know how this story ends. We've seen the movie. We've played starring roles in, in the God story. When we catch even a glimpse of the mystery of God's glory, as did the disciples in this story of transfiguration, Jesus becomes the window through which we see the, the love that God manifests in the world. For those of you who know about Greek Orthodox background and the beautiful icons that are painted, they're not two-dimensional flat art. They are windows through which to see the holy. Jesus becomes that window through which we see the love that God manifests in the world. God reveals it to us so that we can let go of our need to control everything in order to feel secure and live large with gratitude as those once blind but who can now see. You remember that God moment, that holy moment, that God wink, that God thing that was so weird that happened to you that you didn't want to talk about it with anybody or at least not for a long time? The face of a loved one who passed through your dreams the night they died. That time you saw Jesus at the foot of your bed when you were gravely ill. That moment when you saw an angel in the corner with a message that went right to your heart. Or maybe that illuminated moment when you were out sailing and when the hair stood up on the back of your neck and you experienced something you had never experienced before. Last week I met a couple in their late 70s on their way to premarital counseling. They told me that they fell in love in an instant when God revealed that the love of their life had been there all along, living next door. We pray for God to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, and then we act astonished by joy when it happens. But what matters most is not the details of our vision or our particular experience of God back then, but what happens now and next. Some of you have been on spiritual retreat, women's retreats, men's retreat. Maybe you've been on the Emmaus Walk in the past with Casey or still on the Emmaus Walk just this year. And if you have, you know that your leader warns you not to talk too much about what happened to you, just as Jesus said to the disciples. Those we love won't care so much about the mechanics of what we experienced, but about how we're going to love them better as a consequence. Even the disciples at first missed the mark. And sometimes so do we. We imagine that the world would be so much better if we could just eliminate the crazies in Washington. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I know it would be a big crowd. Or that guy on the tennis court whose opinion we really just simply can't abide. What a fool. Or whomever threw those anti-Semitic flyers on driveways all over town just a week and a half ago. Seriously? We don't need those other guys to change so much as we need to see them differently. When we see differently, that changes everything. We stop acting like third grade bullies on the playground and start responding more like Nobel Peace Prize winners who envision a better way to move this human enterprise forward. When the scales fall from our eyes and we see clearly, our lives really do change. 
we can't quit bickering about who's right and who's wrong and start loving one another more regardless. We stop fidgeting over the economy as if we can even remember the last time we didn't have enough to eat and start feeding and sheltering our neighbor instead. We refuse to criticize and control conversations about what other people are reading or doing with their bodies, and we start respecting one another profoundly as beloved children made in the image of God, who God will guide our choices and our path. We release fear that we won't have enough, and we give generously to those people and places that feed our spirits and make a difference in the world. This year is the first time in my entire ministry that I am not going to preach a sermon on the amount during stewardship season. This is all you get. We release fear that we won't have enough and give generously to those people and places that feed our spirits and make a difference in the world. With extravagant generosity, we love, feed, trust, heal, and forgive Forgive, forgive, forgive. The disciples' lack of comprehension foreshadows how miserably they will fail Jesus in the final days. Jesus will take these same three disciples with him into the Garden of Gethsemane and ask them to wait and watch with him while he prays. But this simple task will be too much for them and they're going to fall asleep three times. When Jesus is arrested, they all abandon him and flee. And of course, in the court of the high priest that we'll read about in just a few weeks, Peter will deny three times that he ever knew Jesus. Jesus who? And yet, despite these epic failures, Jesus will not, did not, won't give up on these disciples. When he greets them again in Galilee as the resurrected Lord, they finally get it. Jesus then entrusts God's mission through them for all the world. This is incredibly good news for us, isn't it? We're guaranteed to mess up, to miss the mark, to get scared and hide the gifts of God under our mattress out of fear that it will be taken from us. We give God a little bit of our best self and clutch the rest as if it can prevent us from that long climb up the mountain on the back of our grandchild to scatter the remains of our lives to the four winds. In spite of our slowness to understand, in spite of our self-absorbed preoccupations and self-seeking ambitions, Jesus will not give up on us. Jesus will not give up on you, just as Jesus did not give up on those first disciples. Jesus will stop at nothing to show us mercy, to reconcile us to God and to one another, and to transform us into vessels of his love and mercy for the world. How great is that? So just for today, this chapter of God's story concludes where it began. We're all going to die. So for God's sake, we might as well quit dabbling and squabbling and live according to God's promises before this show is over. 
faithfully spend all you can, every resource entrusted to you, scattering all you've received, seeds of love and joy and hope and mercy everywhere, so that the skins of all God's people will shine as if lit from within. Open our eyes that we might see, God, glimpses of truth you have for us. Open our eyes, illumine us, Spirit divine. May it be so. Amen. You are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. Though you have been broken, your innocence stolen. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS, your SOS. I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true.
Will you pray with me? Holy and transcendent one, at various times and places, you have called us out from the schedules and routines that regulate our lives to give us a glimpse of your glory or to show us your presence or to remind us to pay attention. When you call us to these mountain places, we pray you would calm our fears and silence our voices and replace them with wonder and awe. Quiet our need for explanations that we might be open to mystery. Forgive us our desires to memorialize or classify our experiences and let it be the new lens through which we see your presence and work in our world. Present God, when visions cease, when the music ends, when worship is over, we find ourselves immersed in a world desperate for your tangible presence. Give us compassion to respond to victims of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria and to the seemingly endless war in Ukraine. Give us courage to do more than wringing our hands over six more shootings since we prayed last week. Give us creative responses to the neighbors that annoy or even infuriate us. And God, as we continue to pray for those who struggle to navigate our healthcare system, a living with illness and injury, we pray for people who live with pain or other limitations every day. Send your spirit to comfort the many families that are grieving losses this year. We ask that you would offer hope to those who are depressed, set free those who are addicted, calm the fears of the anxious, and please don't let anger escalate into violence. God, we need your transcendence to give us hope and your presence to give us comfort and relief. We need both to reassure us that we are not spinning our way through this world alone. We pray these things and all things that fill our hearts in the name of Jesus, the transfigured one, who taught us to pray saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
as you go from this place to begin anew, go knowing that by the providence of God, you were born, and by God's grace, you are kept all the day long. And by God's love for you, revealed through Jesus Christ, you are redeemed. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you.